welcome to the Ask podcast. Uh, this is a department of what's called Evangelism and New Churches in Sydney, Sydney Anglicans. This particular one is uh, something that's a, a little bit of a hot potato and you see the gentleman we have with us or you'll hear the gentleman we have with us, uh, Bishop Rod Chiswell. And there was a, a news item about him recently, which I responded to. We're going to take some time to discuss it. But before we do that, Rod, can you say who you are? Uh, Rod Chiswell. I'm the Bishop of the Anglican Diocese of Armidale up in northwest New South Wales. And um, just started the job this year, really. Uh, it's been an interesting start. Yeah, I'm sure. Where are you from? Uh, I was born in this diocese in Bingra, grew up in Canada, then Armidale. Went to uh, New South Wales Uni and did civil engineering and then retrained at Moore College. And I've been in the diocese for the last 25 years in various sized parishes uh, before I took on this job. Okay. Um, for those of us who are ignorant Scotsmen, can you tell us where Armadale is? Yeah, well, it's um, about three and a half hours from the coast, um, just a little bit up from Tamworth, up on the Tablelands. Uh -huh. uh, it's a city of about 25,000 people. Uh, the main regional centre nearby is Tamworth and has about uh, 60,000 people. Now, when you say you're the Bishop of, of Armadale, obviously that must include a much more extended area unless you've got 10 Anglican churches in, ta in, in Armadale, no? Yeah, there's about 35 uh, parishes and we kind of extend in the north in, from Tenterfield, which is just near the border there, yeah. Queensland border, uh, west to uh, Mungandai on the border also, Queensland border, then down to Lightning Ridge and then down through Walgett um, and Baradine, then back across Willow Trees, the southernmost point of the diocese. Mm -hmm. and the, uh, the Great Divide forms the eastern boundary. Okay. Okay. Now, you are an Anglican bishop. Um, how long have you been a, a clergyman? Uh, this is my 26th year mm -hmm. as a clergyman. Um, yeah, I was ordained as um, a presbyter in... Um, uh, Mung and I a lot of years ago, 1996. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, okay. I've been for a while. You forgive me saying this, but you're looking very well for it. You're, I was uh, <laughs> I was ordained in 1986, and uh, you know, I I, I feel I, I wish I could look as long, young as you do. But you're very kind. No, no. Now let's just come straight to this this issue. So let me tell you what I read in the Australian and how it would come across to some people. So. You go as the new bishop. Uh, in one of your charges, there are uh, a couple who are in uh, at least state terms married, uh, uh, both men. And you give a sermon in the cathedral and you also give, um, uh, I think you repeat that sermon various places. Now, according to the impression given by the article uh, written by a man called Greg Barrup, uh, you deliberately went in all guns blazing with a homophobic anti-gay sermon and these nice people responded with her and all the rest of it. Um, mm. And yeah, th that's, to be honest, that's how the article read. Mm. When I read it, I knew it was a setup. You know, yeah. I don't, I, I don't know you, but I did. I've seen it many times. I knew it was a setup. So tell us what happened. Yeah, well, basically, I, I was my my opening sermon, and it was like a stump speech around the diocese. Was entitled "The Best Book to Read Is the Bible," mm -hmm. and it was based on two Timothy chapter three ten to seventeen, 
And uh, it's really encouraging people to keep coming to church regularly to hear from the Word. It was to encourage people to read their Bibles during the week and to join a Bible study group. That's the kind of thrust of the sermon. Mm-hmm. Uh, we even kind of almost saying the best book to read is the Bible at the start with action. So that was the intent of the sermon. There's one verse uh, amidst all of that in 2 Timothy 3, which says anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I had a tiny little section there where I talked about persecution that may come for for uh, people who are Christians who want to stand for what the Bible says and indeed for church leaders. Just a little excursion. And uh, in the course of that, uh, I mentioned uh, some that one of the areas we might get flat from is the uh, homosexual lobby and the gender fluidity lobby. It was just a one-sentence line and really I was just stating what I saw to be probably the truth, but it certainly wasn't launching an attack Mm -hmm. uh, in any way, shape or form, and it's certainly not the start of a a campaign by me, uh, you know, based on homophobia or anything like that. Nothing could be further from the truth, but it certainly was reported by Greg Bear up in that way. He made it out to be the launching of a campaign, and I, I just was so astounded by how he distorted that sermon uh, really remarkable. Were you uh, aware or conscious that, that when you were preparing that sermon that even saying that one sentence might provoke people? Well, no, I think it no, it really didn't occur to me to be a, a problematic thing to say, and maybe it, it speaks of my naivety. Um, I was just thinking through the implications of the passage and, and it was just a, a one comment, but I had no idea of what it might stir up. To be honest, it was a complete surprise to me um, that it stirred such a hornet's nest. Um, yeah. I'd not encountered, I'd not encountered opposition like this anywhere before. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm a pretty plain preacher. I'm not, you know, I say what the Bible's saying and say it like I see it. I've never had any kind of reaction uh, to preaching in this way. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, it, it's maybe reflective of a changing culture. It may be, um, if I can say this without being over-spiritual, it may be that uh, the Lord is a great work for you and is trying to stop you right from the beginning. You know, there may be a spiritual aspect to this. Mm-hmm. But, but let me ask you another question. Um, if, you know, forgive the bluntness of this, but someone would say this to you. Do you hate homosexuals? Absolutely not. No. Again, nothing could be further from the truth. I think uh, with all people, we're all sinful. We're all... Uh, human beings who who fail to live God's way according to his word, and we all need to repent and put our trust in Jesus for forgiveness. Mm -hmm. Uh, We all have different struggles. Um, I think anyone who's engaged in sinful behaviour needs to be gently challenged on that, and pastoral conversations need to be had with them uh, in order to encourage them uh, to live according to God's word, if they claim to be Christian. Um, So, you know, in a sense... No, they're not a, a, a particularly bad class of person in any way, shape or form. We've all got our struggles mm-hmm. and we all want to come under the sound of God's word mm-hmm. and find forgiveness and new life in Jesus. I, I understand that. So you, you're basically saying you wouldn't treat someone who is homosexual any different than you would treat someone who is heterosexual. Yeah, I'm saying uh, you take people as you find them, you get to know them. As a minister, you seek to minister to them where they are and look to address the issues that need to be addressed. Mm-hmm. So from my point of view, um, 
yeah, you, you really have to take people as you find them and work with them from where they are. And so the issues for someone who's, uh, you know, has homosexual orientation or identifies with homosexual orientation um, will be different from someone who's uh, um, got, got other issues that, that um, make it difficult for them. Um, but I think uh, where someone's engaged in homosexual practice, that's another kind of issue that needs a different, a different kind of treatment again. Mm -hmm. So it really is a matter of getting to know people and taking them from where you find them. So, I mean, I appreciate that. And, uh, you know, I, I, I don't think it's appropriate or right for us to discuss the particular case that was brought up. But um, it was a, a it was very much a hatchet piece. You know, there was a picture of you taken off YouTube in a dark you know, cathedral. And then there was a, a picture of the couple involved outside a wicket gate looking very friendly, you know, and <laughs> you did come across as. If, if I didn't know you, and well, I didn't know you, and, and I just read that piece and I believed what it said, I would have thought at the very least, you know, you were, um, you know, a bit of a hard case, you know, a bit of a, yeah. and that, you know, that. So after I wrote a response, I then, someone then directed me to the actual sermon, which is on your, is it on the bishop's, um, the diocese's page or what? No, I think it was on the uh, Armadale Cathedral. All right. Where they put up sermons that are preached they record them yeah. nowadays lots of things are recorded nowadays especially after covid but it was up there on their website i think yeah so i mean when i listened to it i thought oh my goodness that's what we say in scotland harmless you know <laughs> harmless it mm. it was just uh um mm. there was nothing to it no. you know that that yeah, i mean in fact that phrase might even pass you by. The one thing I did pick up, which I thought was really interesting, mm -hmm. was you were suggesting that we wouldn't be persecuted in the sense of thrown into jail or forbidden from meeting, but it, basically you were suggesting it would come from things things like misrepresentation in the media. Therefore, it's somewhat ironic that that's exactly what happened. It was very ironic, really, um, almost prophetic, I suppose, but I, <laughs> I had no idea, to be honest, David. Yeah. Yeah. So you didn't expect this. You didn't know anything of this. So tell me how the story came about. Were you contacted by a journalist? What was the deal? Yeah. I mean, I guess there's there's a lead up to this that has to do with the, the case concerned. Um, and my hunch is that there's a bit of a campaign that's yeah. launched as a result of that. And I think, uh, you know, Greg Bearup contacted me was part of that. Uh, campaign, it would have seemed to me. Um, so, yeah, and uh, he asked some questions and I sought to give honest answers to those questions. I did ask him to print the statements in full that I provided and the statements that I provided to him had a great deal more context and a great deal more about the love of God and, mm -hmm. and God's grace to us in Jesus and all of those things. Um, so, yeah, I, I sought to, to answer his questions. Then he obviously cherry-picked the answers with half sentences here and there. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so it wasn't a great experience, to be honest. So when the, when the article came out and it was published, was that the first time you saw it? And how did you feel when you read it in the paper? <sighs> uh, look, I felt, I felt sad because I thought it was a highly emotive article. Um, 
I counted 10 factual errors in it as well, which is a little bit distressing. And I think the thing that upset me most was being misrepresented, um, particularly with regard to the sermon. Mm -hmm. um, so obviously I feel pretty heavy about it um, and, and sad that, that this situation was being used uh, for what I could clearly see he had a bigger agenda. Mm -hmm related to the religious discrimination bill. He was trying to connect the dots there, though I don't think this case has much to do with that at all, but he, he clearly wanted to make it all about that. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, so sad is probably the word to sum up how I felt. Um, a little annoyed at the journalist as well, mm -hmm. um, given the assurances he'd given me to represent me rightly and fairly. Did, did you feel under some kind of personal attack spiritually or, you know, was it just something that you just shrugged your shoulders? Um, I'd love to say I just shrugged my shoulders and it didn't have any effect on me. I, you know, I felt, I mean, clearly at a, at a bigger level, you'd see it as a spiritual attack of sorts. Mm -hmm. uh, certainly it was a personal attack. Um, yeah, it, you know, I found myself, it, it was difficult to sleep a couple of nights because mm -hmm. you kind of find it playing over in your head and and um it's it's no fun to be misrepresented like that um and vilified really mm -hmm. yeah. did you get a lot of criticism implied or otherwise from other christians i'm, I'm talking basically about evangelicals mm. um i mean i i'm absolutely certain you're right about the agenda because the article read like you know Here's this lovely couple. Here's nasty bishop. Here's uh, this is what will happen if the religious, the anti-religious discrimination law is passed. So it was classic propaganda. You know, it was yeah. uh, the, the jots two and two was put together and it made twenty-five. You know, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But but apart from that, how did you feel in terms of the support or not that you received? Uh, look, I had a few uh, nasty emails came through. I deliberately didn't read the comments to the editor on the Australian on the, on the website uh, because I, I knew that there'd be a lot of um, flack. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, think, I think basically about a third of the responses that came back to the Australian um, were positive or mm -hmm. in support of me and two-thirds that weren't, which I thought wasn't a bad strike rate, to be honest. Um, but in terms of the response of evangelicals around the country, it's just been remarkable support right across the board and I think even though I was misrepresented in the article I think they understood that my stand was quite conservative mm -hmm. and I, I do believe that we have to uphold what the scriptures say mm -hmm. uh, with regard to um, you know human sexuality and I think that that did come across clearly in the article I think people appreciated me making a stand on that issue mm -hmm. so and since then uh, in most days I get something uh, in, in my email tray or in the mail to say, look, thanks for taking the stand you have. Uh, we, we do need to, you know, we're praying for you, persevere. Mm -hmm. So largely the response from evangelicals has been uh, really encouraging, to be honest. And maybe one thing God does out of this is uh, galvanises uh, 
evangelicals to say, yeah, we, we do need to say what's true according to God's word. Okay. C- can I offer you a couple of criticisms? Um, I have sure. to say, n- neither of which I would make. No, no, but no. <laughs> I, I, I've been in this game long enough, if you like, to know what would be yeah. said. Yeah. So on the one hand, there would be those who'd say, you know, thank you, brother, for taking a stand, but I went and read your sermon or, or all these different kinds of things. And to be honest, you weren't nearly strong enough. Yeah. What, what would you say to that? Well, I, yeah, I, I don't think we need to pick fights as yeah. Christians, to be honest. I think we need to speak the truth in love always. Yeah. Um, and as I look at what the scriptures tell us in addressing, you know, sin, uh, it's really, it's not go, go in all guns blazing and try to shoot down the opposite. You, you actually look to to deal with the person that you're dealing with and love them as Christ would love them and call them to repentance. So, you know, from my point of view, I don't think there's much value in going in all guns blazing in this kind of thing. I, I think we just got to keep speaking the truth in love. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I've been asking people to pray for, you know, wisdom, patience and strength to speak the truth in love according to God's word going forward. That's, that's the prayer I want people to be praying uh, on this issue. Yeah. I mean, that makes a, a whole lot of sense in so many ways. Um, and I agree entirely with it. I mean, I think I don't know how many thousands of sermons I preached over, you know, 35 years ministry. But I think in total, maybe four of them included a significant part on homosexuality. Mm. You know, so it's it's I, I you teach about it in accordance with as it comes up in the scripture. So absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So then it's interesting. The the opposite criticism of that from some evangelicals would be this i never i mean i was in one church where they were told we never mention this subject from the pulpit in in bible study groups or one-to-one counseling but we don't because we know sermons are recorded etc 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 so those what would you say to those who said you were unwise to even mention it at all yeah well i i don't think we should put our heads down where the scriptures do say do say you know quite clear things about um, God's boundaries for human sexuality. If you if you're preaching, you come across a passage which addresses it. I think you do your people a disservice by not actually going there and talking about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be in a combative way, but I think we do need to say and be prepared to say what the scriptures are saying, even though it's completely countercultural. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think, what what do you do? Uh, you know, do you leave your congregation in the dark so that when issues like same-sex marriage come up uh, and they've got to vote in a plebiscite, you you must you must talk to them about these things mm-hmm. uh, in in a way that reflects you know what you know the importance of of what God's word says. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't think you can avoid it. Uh, actually, in my ministry, it's come up almost every year in some way, mm-hmm. um, and when it comes up, I just talk pretty straightforwardly about it. Mm-hmm. As I say, it's the first time I've ever encountered any kind of backlash of it so, from it. So maybe I've been sheltered, probably have, but um, yeah. yeah. I, I think you're right, you know, and I, and I want to encourage you in that particularly because we have to speak God's word into the culture as it is, yeah. Yeah. you know, and I think to be silent about things that the culture is, you know, my view is that the cult, it's the culture that's obsessed mm. with sex and sexuality as a shibboleth. Mm for the culture not for the church yeah yeah you know and they judge you on that basis and they judged you on that basis mm. but you know in terms of dealing with the press 
do you think it's better to just say no comment to everything or what's your feelings now? Yeah, well, I, yeah, I'm in two minds about this after the last. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Initially on the issue, uh, I, I said very little and, you, you know, you, you do need to be careful, I think, um, with regard to media stuff. I've discovered you are wise to listen to your media advisors mm-hmm. and also from time to time wise to listen to lawyers in terms of what you do say or don't say. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think I felt and in the lead up to that Australian uh, Weekend Australian article, I, I felt we needed to nail our mm-hmm. colours to the mast a little bit at least and exp- explain something mm-hmm. of of why we stand where we stand, because otherwise it leaves people going, what, why would you even say that? Well, I think we need to be prepared to say something, mm-hmm. uh, even in the media. Um, again, they will twist it, though, is what I've discovered. So in a way, the best the best forum for it is, um, is live interviews. Mm-hmm. From my point of view, mm-hmm. get a chance to have a, a live radio interview. That's your best, that's your best forum. In the lead up to the um, the same sex marriage plebiscite, I got a golden opportunity with uh, the ABC in Tamworth, um, and Kelly Fuller did the interview. Uh, we'd been talking with uh, Barnaby Joyce about the plebiscite that was coming up, and numbers of church leaders had met with him, and I was the bunny who was the spokesperson, uh, and. The media heard about this meeting with Barnaby Joyce and so they, they asked me to come on ABC Radio in the mm-hmm. morning. It was a live interview. She gave me a full 20 minutes and, you know, and I was just able to explain our position quite clearly. Um, that's the best experience I've had, but they couldn't edit it. They couldn't, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It, it's on air. Mm-hmm. And, and we, I, look, I, I talked about the Bible passages concerned, uh, you know, in Genesis 2 and... I just I just talked about it openly, Matthew nineteen, um, and I thought we got pretty good hearing. Um, and I came out of that meeting going, "Thank you, God, that was so good." Because I'd had a lot of people praying for me that I might be able to answer in a way that made sense. And I think God answered those prayers in that case. But that's my best experience of the media. But it was live. Mm-hmm. They couldn't cherry-pick anything. Yeah, I think the live thing, I mean, there is a problem with television and interviews. You know, I did one once where on the transgender issue and in a five-minute news piece, they used me for 20 seconds and it was a sound bite. you know. Um, I, I find phone-ins, I find interviews. I, I find with written media, it's quite good to ask for, to be able to see the copy beforehand and to ask for a right of reply. Yeah. You know, if, if they... You know, things because I do think so much is done by impression, isn't it? Oh, my word. Yeah. So much is done by. So it's. You could read that article, and the article I could tell was full of holes, but it's the impression that's given. Yeah. E- even by the photographs. Yeah. You know. Yeah. There's. So, I mean, let, let, yeah, sorry, carry on. I mean, it really was the narrative, wasn't it? Yeah. You know, um, basically, these people lost, confused, struggling with identity. Um, you know, they found new freedom uh, to be who they feel themselves to be, but they're now oppressed by, you know, mm-hmm. by the church in this case. And so it's it's got the classic narrative, um, emotional mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. kind of persuasive mm-hmm. 
tools being used there. But And it's seeking to expose the Christian gospel or ridicule it and then replace it with a different kind of uh, their good news, which is completely different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, just to give an example, uh, <laughs> I thought this was, this is a professor writing uh, uh, about you. And he says, the bishop is obsessed about the divorce, the masturbators, the unwed, the gluttonous, the greedy, the slothful, the envious. Um, <laughs> I, I, it, it seems to me that um, I thought it's our society that's obsessed with sex and sexuality. Yes. I, I, I gathered even from that article and even from what I know and now also from talking to you that your obsession mm-hmm. is with communicating the good news of Jesus Christ Absolutely. to all sinners, which is all of us. Absolutely. Absolutely. You, you, you don't pick. So let uh, uh, just ask this, you know, straight. Would uh, people who are homosexual be welcome in your churches? Yes. 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 Yeah. yeah we've, from my point of view, um, we want all people to hear the good news of Jesus. And have mm-hmm. the opportunity to find forgiveness and new life in Him. Mm-hmm. So certainly, absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and uh, you know, they're not going to come every Sunday and and hear a rant about sexuality. No. <laughs> no. Well, it'd be pretty rare the Sunday they hear it directly talked about at all. Just coming back to the general cultural situation and the tendency, I think we've discussed this, of some Christians to put their head down and others to stand up and, you know, charge over the ramparts and, you know, mm. um, I'm, I'm picking up from you something that, I, that, that you can tell me if you think this is true or not, that in reality, we have to remain faithful to the word, teach the word, even when it's contrary to the culture mm. without compromise, mm. but we're fighting a different battle. This is a spiritual battle. Mm. and we pay the cost yes sometimes but we, we're not going out to provoke and to annoy people no. which we're, we're we're just seeking to be faithful to the truth is that a fair absolutely you know and i think we need to resist the temptation to play the victim yeah you know really i think we've got to be prepared to suffer i mean the apostle peter talks about this in um, you know one peter chapter four mm-hmm. uh, don't be surprised at the trial that you you know Rejoice mm-hmm. that you get this for the name. I, I think we've got to start framing it in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, just keep playing straight back, keep loving people. I think um, Steve McAlpine's book is excellent. It is. Um, being the bad guys. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I think since all this blew up, I've, I think I've read it three times now. <laughs> Steve's a very good friend of mine and he, he's a colleague. And yeah. um, I, when I read the book, first of all, I did regard it as, uh, a book for the moment, yeah. you know, a, a book for the culture. And yeah. it's funny that you're saying that because yeah. you, you were the bad guy. In that article, you are definitely the bad guy. And so I start reading his yeah. book and the first couple of chapters, I'm going, yeah, that, that's exactly, you're exactly right. This it's could have been describing what's happened yeah. Yeah. and the last little while. But then he comes on to some good strategies as well. Yeah, um, yeah. Looks at, um, yeah, and a number of things towards the end of the book, which I, I think it's quite encouraging really yeah and it has encouraged me to reframe it yeah and not despair not despair yeah you know um we can't just keep our heads down yeah if we're going to be salt and light in in our communities and keep proclaiming the truth about jesus so that you know all sinners come to repentance and faith we've got to be prepared to address you know the issues even when they're in you know conflict with our culture we i don't think it's it's not loving to do otherwise it's just, we really need to keep, you know, 
holding the line and speaking the truth in love. Absolutely. Do you know this? Um, I was just thinking when you were talking as well of that, you know, imagine uh, uh, one of your clergy looking at their text and going, well, I'm, it mentions adultery, but I've got people in the congregation who've committed adultery. It mentions abortion. I can't mention that. It mentions racism. I've got people who are, you know, inclined towards it. I better not mention that because it's going to upset someone. You're actually going to be saying nothing. Yeah. You're, you're just going to be completely bland, aren't you? Well, it's a slippery slope when you start ignoring one thing. Yeah. And, you you know, all of a sudden you go, oh, well, if I haven't talked about that, I shouldn't talk about that or that. Oh, oh actually, or that either. Yeah. I, th I think we can. The task of the preacher is to explain the word as clearly as you can and call people to repentance and faith. Yeah. You know, occasionally we get accused of using the pulpit as a weapon. At the end of the day, uh, it's not weaponizing the pulpit to say this is what God's word says. Yeah. You know, you need to prayerfully consider this. Yeah. And if, if there's sin in your life, you need to repent and put your trust in Jesus and make the fresh start, you know. Yeah. You've got to keep saying that. Yeah. Um, Anyway, I mean, this is this is, in a sense, it is a weapon. This is the sword of the Lord. Yeah. It's what He uses to go into us. But we don't hit people over the head with it. No, definitely not. We, we just say what Jesus says. And some actually, sometimes you, you seem to meet in a very gentle manner, uh, unlike me. <laughs> it, it, you sometimes it's the gentle word that gets in deeper. Yeah. And and the Spirit uses to convict people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's really interesting because you know, I mean, it'd be pretty rare the year where I'm not. You know, in in the twenty five years of parish ministry, be pretty rare that I haven't confronted someone each year about some matter with regard to sexual sin, mm -hmm. and matters with regard to greed, and matters with regard to dishonouring parents. You know, there's all mm -hmm. sorts of things. Now, probably about half the time, I find people will listen, and actually, I can win them over, or at least the spirit. But with God's help, as mm -hmm. I apply the word wins them over, and they repent and find restoration. Mm -hmm. The other half of the time, they get very upset and they walk away. Mm -hmm. Well, God's word has that effect, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. It either brings salvation or it brings judgment. Well, you know, really, I think if you can apply it consistently uh, and trust God for the result, well, amen to that. Listen, thank you so much for, for speaking to me and explaining your situation and I think I would challenge people to read the article, uh, listen to this interview, and then just see the difference between the portrayal of you as the bad guy in the article mm. and and the reality of, of who you are and what you do. Listen, before you go, I've got to ask something that's completely unconnected and utterly trivial. Sure. I mean, maybe we can try and make a biblical illustration of sheep and goats and pigs or something. Yeah. But Tamworth, my dad used to be a pigman, and we had Tamworth sows and Tamworth pigs. Yes. Is that where the name comes from, or is it from England initially? No, well, I, I imagine there are pig farmers around Tamworth, yeah. but, um, yeah, I mean, there's all sorts of rural industry around Tamworth, but, um, yeah, sheep, cattle, wheat, yeah. <laughs> or the whole, whole gamut. So I don't think it's particularly known for its pigs, but... There's probably pig farmers around there. Okay. Yeah. Well, listen, you are a bishop, and that, that's a, a job to, as a shepherd, an under-shepherd of Jesus Christ, to shepherd the flock. Mm. Thank you for what you're doing, and thank you for the ministry and the grace that you show, and I just pray that God would bless you. Yeah, thanks, David. Look, thanks for your support and encouragement as well. I appreciate it. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Thank you.